So I may be dating myself a little bit here, but I want you to think back to your um, grade school days, elementary, middle, high school. Uh, again, I may, I may be dating myself at least to our, uh, uh, compared to our current students. Um, but do you remember when you had a crush on a girl or on a guy? Do you remember when you were in school and you had a crush on a girl or a guy? And you got to a point where you wanted to find out if they liked you too, right? A lot of times you kept it, you kept it secret for a long time and then finally got to a point where I just can't hold this any longer. I got to find out. Do you like me too? So what'd you do? Well, when I was in school, we wrote a note. Again, not sure if our current uh, generation knows about this, but it involved a pen and a pencil and a, a piece of paper. Um, I know that, <laughs> I mean, I'm all about electronics, so I'm, I'm part of that. But, you know, we got a lot of electronics now, and I guess nowadays everything's electronic, and that probably, this probably happens by cell phone uh, now and text messages. But I remember myself and my friends would write notes to those girls who we had a crush on. And a typical note would go like this. I like you. Do you want to be my friend box or girlfriend box? Check one. Check one or the other, right? That's what it was like. It's like check one or the other. And, um, and so she would get the note. She would open it up, and she would check which box, and then she would fold it back up, and she would send it back to you. And so you get the note back, and you open it, and you, you, this is what happens. If she checked friend you'd wallow in self-pity. And if she checked girlfriend, it was happily ever after until uh, lunchtime or summer or whatever. <laughs> Didn't last very long. See, there's only one problem with these notes. Well, there's probably a couple, of, but there's one problem particularly with these notes. Uh, typically, you'd pass these notes down the aisle of desk or down the row in gym. And so the note would have to pass through several hands before it got to the person you wanted it to get to. And you would try to do this when the teacher wasn't looking. You know, like maybe the teacher had their back and was writing something on the board, and so, you know, you pass it down really quickly, and then you do the same thing on the way back. But sometimes, sometimes these notes would get interrupted, intercepted by the teacher. And not only would the teacher intercept those notes, sometimes the teacher would decide to use you as an example of what not to do during class. And so that teacher would take that note, that teacher would open that note, and that teacher would read that note in front of everyone. Maybe today it'd be like the teacher grabbing your phone and opening up your text messages or your Snapchats and reading those out loud. It was the most awkward thing in the world when the teacher would intercept a note and read it in front of the entire class. I'm not going to tell you about a story that, that happening to me. That's just not going to happen. I know that's what you're waiting for, but it's not going to happen. But as we move uh, in our series from the Gospels to the Epistles, in our series on binge reading the Bible, that's kind of the scenario we have here. Listen up. For the past several weeks, we've been, we've been looking at what makes up the Bible. We've realized that the Bible is not just one book, but it's one book made up of 66 different books. These books have different, a different purpose and a different reason. They're full of different types of literature with different types of meaning. As we transitioned last week from the Old Testament into the New Testament, and we go further into the New Testament today, we hit the epistles. 
The epistles are letters written to churches and individuals after the death and resurrection of Jesus. They were pastoral letters written from early church leaders to newly found Christian churches. The epistles are made up of 21 books or letters in the New Testament, Romans to Jude. Most of these, a lot of these, are written by the Apostle Paul to New Testament newly founded churches, churches that he often founded himself. Peter also wrote some of these letters, and some of these letters were not just written to churches, but they were written to individuals. And the reason why I compare these letters to a love note passed in class with the potential of being read out loud in front of the entire class is because the authors of these letters never thought, as they were writing them, that they would end up as Scripture and be read by millions upon millions of people around the world across centuries of time. These were highly personal letters written to either particular congregations or individuals dealing oftentimes with specific issues. The writers never dreamed that later on the church would compile these letters and make them holy scriptures. So for Paul and Peter and the others, whenever we read these letters in worship or in Bible study, it's kind of like a teacher who intercepted the note and read it in from the entire class. So for Paul and Peter, um, so, but, but God, knew, God knew what he was doing. Kind of like he always does. God always knows what he's doing. And the beautiful thing for us is that we can learn so much from these letters. You see, these letters were the early church leaders' way of teaching the early church, early Christians, how to live. They were giving pastoral advice for how to follow the way of Jesus. These letters focus heavily on teaching Christians, uh, cre- teaching Christian communities like ours, how to properly live as disciples of Christ as well as how to interact with believers and non-believers. And really, when you boil it down, the Gospels, the Epistles, the New Testament, the Christian life is a life built on the idea of love. Specifically, love of God, love of self, and love of neighbor. Most of what the early Christian leaders were teaching in these letters we call the Epistles was how we are to live a life of love. That was the way of Jesus, and that's the way that we're trying to follow today. We see it in our passage from 1 Corinthians 13. This is one of the most well-known scriptures in all the Bible. Even if you've never set foot in a church before, there's a good chance that you've heard this passage most likely at a wedding. It's called uh, unofficially the love chapter. You see, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. And like many many of his other letters, Paul wrote for a specific purpose. He wrote to the church in Corinth to deal with the fact that some in the church thought that they were more spiritual, that they were better than others because they had the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. They could speak in a, a different language, a language they didn't know, hadn't learned, but could supernaturally speak through the Holy Spirit, they could speak a message from God in a different language. Well, Paul wrote to clarify this thinking, to correct this thinking. So Paul writes, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, 
but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul says, you know, that's great that you can speak in tongues, but if you aren't loving other people and you aren't loving about speaking in tongues, then you are just making noise. If all you're doing is boasting about how special you are and and how special your gift is, then you aren't loving and no one's going to hear what you're saying. James Stewart, in his book, A Man in Christ, says Paul's addressing, he's really addressing four different groups within the church. And you can see those four groups sometimes in the church today, and I'm not going to Um, I'm not going to call out who fits in those groups. I'm just going to let you figure that out. I'm not stupid. First, First, Paul addresses those super spiritual members. Hey, look at me. I have this amazing spiritual gift. I can speak in tongues. Then he addresses, now these are James Stewart's words, not mine. He addresses the eggheads in the group. I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Basically, I'm smarter than you. Next is the prayer warriors in the church. If I have a faith that can move mountains, hey, I pray harder and better than you. Lastly, he tags the social justice crowd in the church. If I give all I have, all I possess to the poor that I may boast, hey, I give more to the poor than you. See, none of those groups are bad groups at all. None of those groups are bad. Except when you leave out love. When we remove love from the equation, guess what? We make it all about ourselves. We make it all about what we're doing and and not about what God's doing. We're, We're vessels. We're God's instrument. God's the one doing and moving. And so then Paul moves on to verse 4 and, and what most of us have heard at weddings. and It's a list of what love is and what love isn't. Now, I don't mean to burst anybody's bubble. I guess I do. But Paul is not talking about romantic love. And that doesn't mean couples can't learn something about love from this passage, but Paul's not talking about puppy love. Paul's talking about Christian love. He's talking about the the love that we're supposed to have for our fellow human beings far beyond any romantic relationship. And Paul's not talking about this this frou-frou love, this, this kumbaya love that is so prevalent today. Oh, we just need to love everybody. No matter what, we just gotta love everybody. It doesn't matter who they are or what they've done. We just need to love them. We can't tell them they're a sinner. Do not do that. That is not PC. That will hurt their feelings. They won't like us anymore. And Paul's not telling us to love people by hitting them over the head with the truth. We don't love people by shoving the truth down their throats. 
Warren Wiersbe, who passed away earlier this year, is a biblical teacher and theologian. There's probably a good chance you've read one or two of his books. Is quoted as saying, Truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. Hear that again. Truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. For me, this quote hit me between the eyes because I think that is exactly where we are as a society and and oftentimes we find ourselves in the church. We are either brutally honest with people without a hint of love or concern or care for them as a human being, as we're so, cons- you know, we're so concerned with, with pointing out their sin and, and their, their wrong behavior or all the bad things that they've done, and we forget to love them as a human being and someone who is created in the image of God. Or sometimes, sometimes we literally love people to death because we're so scared of telling them the truth. We don't want to point out another person's sin or destructive behavior, and we just, we just want to love on them. So instead of trying to help them with the truth, we allow them to continue down a destructive behavior, and sometimes it ends up killing them. We've got to remember what the Gospel of John said about Jesus. John 1.14 says this, The Word became flesh, talking about Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. These early church leaders who wrote these epistles we're trying to direct and guide those who read these letters into living after the example of Christ. And the scriptures tell us that Christ came full of grace and truth. Not full of grace and no truth. Not no grace and all truth. Not half grace and half truth. But full of grace and full of truth. He didn't come with only grace saying, hey, you're forgiven. Live your life however you want. And Jesus didn't come with only truth. Hey, you're a sinner. You're going to hell. Get right or or get left. Jesus came full of grace and truth, full of love and truth. And that's how we're to live our life as well. Just like Jesus full of grace and truth. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, had a phrase, he called it holy love. We got this big thing where, you know, now it's just, we just love people. That's all we're supposed to do, we just love people. No, we're called to a holy love. A holy love that speaks grace and truth. Speaks grace and truth. If it's only truth, it's brutality. If it's only grace, it's just hypocrisy. One of the things that I like to do at weddings with this passage from 1 Corinthians, because couples will insist on this passage being read, even though it isn't talking about romantic love. Anybody clear? We're good? Okay. I'm just messing, sort of. I changed the words a little. And it's not a perfect translation, but it gets home the point of this. 
God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God does not dishonor others. God's not self-seeking. God's not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. He does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God never fails. Again, that's the case in translation. It's not perfect. You like that? It's not perfect. But the scripture tells us that God is love. And the epistles, these highly personal, highly personal letters that, that we can find meaning and, and, and purpose out of even today are meant to help us to live a way of love, the way of God, a God who is full of grace and truth. Let each of us live the way of love. Amen. Heavenly Father, Father, we understand that this life of grace and truth is messy. It's, it's a little easier to live on one side or the other. But life's messy. And we see from the scriptures that Christ came into the middle of our mess. While we were yet sinners, Christ gave his life for us. So, Father, we're called to live after the example of Christ. We're called to get in the mess. And we won't do it perfectly. We certainly won't do it perfectly. But, Father, help us through your Spirit to live a life of grace and truth, of love and truth that may please you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.